0: Listening to the TMQ podcast, podcasting from inside of the Cola Promotion Studios One in Wichita, Kansas, and going out to the entire world. I am your host, grand Tommy Martinez. It's another fantastic episode. So sit back as you listen and enjoy what I have for you. Always rocking, baby, because this is what it's all about. Wow, that's a lot of energy. Yes, welcome to the TMQ Podcast Season 1, Episode number 2. You're going to be rocking with me, El Gran Tommy Martinez, which, by the way, has been having a phenomenal uh, end of the fall season, beginning of the winter season. Last weekend, I was down at the Temple Live here in Wichita, and I was finally able to see my buddy and music instructor, The mighty Aaron Epp, the gargantuan guitarist in the great local band Throws of Rejection. Also known as the Premier Pantera Tribute Band. If you know me personally, you know that thrash metal of that sort is not my scene. I know of it. A lot of my acquaintances are into that kind of stuff, but I just never really caught on to it. But I finally went to a show, and I'll tell you what, Throws of Rejection provided for me a lot more appreciation than what I thought. For being that thrash, hardcore, growling metal. It was a very laid-back environment. It was a family environment. There was people there even with their kids. And I'm talking about kids less than five years old. And, of course, everybody was having a good time. I want to shout out again to my buddy Aaron. Thank you, man. Thank you for that invitation. And uh, you're a really humble dude, man. Because I was looking at you, man, while you were playing, and you were just... You know, kick back. If it would have been me, Mr. Ego, I would have been in the front kicking people around and get out of my way to show my skills, because that man does have some skills on that guitar. Now that I think about it, I'm going to ask him to come on my podcast. I want to speak with him about the tribute bands, this whole thing that I've been speaking about for the past year, and I view it as the future of rock and roll, at least of uh, music that uh, many of us enjoy, and Unfortunately, for whatever reasons, the performers, the people who came up with this, are either not here on earth no more, they've broken up for whatever reasons, or health doesn't permit them to go back on stage. And these tribute bands are now filling in that gap. I just wonder what a great player of an instrument such as the electric guitar has to think about that. You know, not a person who creates music cheaply through computers and whatnot. And we'll go from there. I'm going to have to make that happen for you, my audience of the TMQ podcast. I think it's going to be good. Now, that Throws a Rejection show was on Friday night. I left a little early because I had to get back home, get some rest, because at 4 in the morning, I hauled ass down to Dallas to do something for my daughter. Got up early Sunday morning, then came right back up here to Wichita because that evening I was going to go see Adam Sandler with my son. That was a great show as well. I always say, if you're one of those people who like complaining like a big pussy and just saying, oh, there's nothing happening here in Wichita, you have never been more wrong in your entire life. There's all kinds of cool things happening in town. You just have to look for it. And before I move on to the juiciness of this podcast, I want to say hi to my friend, the wondrously beautiful Betsy Calderon, who was out again on one of her world travels and always takes the time to send me these really cool things that she finds on her trips this time it was to iceland and to thailand and i have it right here it's in this uh package i open it up and let's take a look oh oh it's from the hard rock yes it's two guitar pins very very well designed very nice a lot of details uh one is from iceland and the other one is from thailand Let me see what they say here. Oh, I'm going to need my translator. Give me a second. Okay, I have my trusty translator. I have it on the screen. And it is spelled C-H-I-A-N-G space M-A-I. I'm going to say it's Chiang Mai. What do you say, trusty translator? Chiang Mai. What is it again? Chiang Mai. Haha, <laughs> I guess I was wrong and I could pronounce it. Now, what does that mean? A city in Thailand. Yep, I could figure that one out. Let me see. Chang Newtown. <laughs> so, this is from the Hard Rock in Newtown, Thailand. Let's see my luck with the second one. Okay. That one is spelled R E Y. Hell, I'm just going to write this in here R E Y. And a bunch of letters that don't uh, <laughs> make any sense in the order that they're in. And voila. Reykjavik. Yeah, screw that. There's no way I'm going to pronounce that one. But language isn't really a barrier when it comes to rock and roll. Thank you again, Betsy. A big, big, big hug for you and your family. And thank you for the Christmas card. Uh, we appreciate that. And to Betsy and the rock and rollers of Iceland, Thailand, and the rest of the world. Guess what? This one is for you.
1: It's Rocket
0: History brought to you from the pages of history.com, today and music.com, songfacts.com, and classic bands. 1973, Slade, the mighty Slade releases. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's Christmas time. You knew I was going to throw something at you that had to do with this season. Even though I'm really well aware that the Christmas season is not happy for everybody. Unlike the uh, Slade song suggests, right? Let's put that aside for a minute and let's delve into this history piece. Back in 1973, British glam rock monsters. The band Slade was number one with this Christmas tune. If you're scratching your head and you're wondering who is Slade, you've heard their songs. As a matter of fact, in my humble opinion, their song, Come On, Feel The Noise, remember, was covered by Quiet Riot is responsible for, let's say, the hard rock, quote-unquote, heavy metal scene that was unleashed 10 years later in 1983 when Quiet Riot covered their song. But that's a subject for another day. Slade released this song probably at the peak of their popularity. It sold over a million copies. It was also Slade's last number one in the U.K., It says here it's so popular still that it's been re-released for every decade since. That means it's been released in CD, more than likely vinyl again, and definitely digital. It was also covered by uh, other artists, among them Oasis. Mm. Now going back to 1973 and why we would need a Merry Christmas song? That was the year of Nixon's Watergate, even though earlier that year Nixon had been sworn in as president after being reelected and announcing he was suspending military actions other than defensive ones in Vietnam. Also, 1973 was that horrific crash in Boston, where the plane hit that seawall, killed a bunch of people. The Yom Kippur War had begun back in October of that year also, where the Israelis were fighting the Egyptians and Syrians. So, as always, there was some shit happening around the world. And still, there were some really cool things happening, such as the Sears Tower in Chicago being inaugurated. NASA's space mission, the Skylab, was launched. The George Foreman-Joe Frazier boxing rivalry was going. That was a big deal in the sports world. See, but mainly those things aren't really put out in the press. That doesn't capture the headlines. Bad things do. Almost like today with the damn social media. Musical-wise that year, Dancing Days and Jermaker was out there from Zeppelin. Desperado by the Eagles. The Doobies' China Grove. One of my favorite Stone songs, Angie. Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Stevie Wonder's Superstition. So you can see there's a lot of cool music on the airwaves back in 1973. You want to know what the number one song was back in 1973? Tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree <laughs> by Tony Orlando and Dawn. So I can see where it's very fitting that Slade could come out with a really cool Christmas song to top out the year. You know, even though the lyrics were a little... Suggestive. With lines in there that say, do the fairies keep him sober for a day? Do you ride down the hillside on a buggy that you've made? When you land upon your head, then you've been slayed. (laughs) That last part there being a little wordplay uh, referencing the name of the band. I don't know. I think it's a really cool Christmas tune when you're tired of listening to the regular stuff that's on the radio or however you receive your Christmas music or however it's imposed upon you. Because my wife busts my balls all the time about you don't listen to anything but, but rock music. And that's not necessarily true. I told you last week we were down at Dallas. I had my favorite music playing. In my truck and she said, hey, you should change it to some Christmas music. So I looked at her and said, okay, sure, no worries. (laughs) And I googled heavy metal Christmas music. And guess what? Something came on on YouTube. So check it out. Slade's Merry Christmas, Everybody. Christmas was spelled with an X. And by the way, it's also one of those great kind of anthem songs where everybody could get together at a party and just sing it. There you go. I even threw in that little recommendation there. So uh, you guys could have some fun with your friends. Here, let me stop this real quick. I got to take a whiz. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. Let's just keep this podcast rolling. And that's Van Halen's Jump. Symphonic
1: version. Here we go. that gets me down you got to go i see the toughest son I'm back to The French horns and some strings, baby. I think I forgot the rest of the lyrics. I'm so
0: excited. Uh, let me break this down. I don't want to screw it up anymore. <laughs> I can keep going. Yeah. It's kind of like these uh, 1970s variety shows. This is bring out Lawrence Welk and his orchestra and butcher this great rock song. Next up on the TMQ Podcast Variety Hour, Tommy does Black Sabbath Swore Pigs, but this time in a Latino cumbia
1: version. Generals gather in their masses. <laughs> witches in Black Masses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I want to up my audience, not run them away. Now, actually, I'm curious of how that Van Halen song came out in the mix. That was way out of my vocal range. Not that I have an actual vocal range either. I'll just listen to it later. If I listen to it now, I'll probably take it out. Let's get back to Van Halen's Jump. <clears throat> December the- <clears throat> Sorry about that. Let me clear my throat. All that singing or that pretend singing has me a little bit of... <clears throat> December the 21st of 1983, Van Halen released what would become their most successful song, Jump offer their monster record 1984 that would be released a few weeks afterwards. So in a sense, this Van Halen tune was a Christmas gift to us, the fans. Going down memory lane, Van Halen came out with Van Halen. That was their self-titled debut record. Then after that came Van Halen 2, Women and Children First, Fair Warning, Diver Down, and Whammo, 1984. So that entire body of work had been laid down so this record could come out. I'm going to have to mention the controversy of this record with the fans. And I'm referring to the use of keyboard synthesizers on this particular record on 1984. The fans of Van Halen, the fans of their unique style of hard rock, were not happy about that. If I remember correctly, even I wasn't too happy about that. And if you go back a little further and you look at Diver Down, you shouldn't have been surprised about 1984. The previous single released to that was uh, Secrets, which was on Diver Down. That was very mellow and laid back. Diver Down had a couple of covers. Pretty Woman was on that. Dancing in the Streets was on that. Happy Trails. And there was also a song on there called Cathedral. That sounded like a synthesizer. Some of us just forgot that Eddie Van Halen was a classical trained pianist. Returning back to Jump, the sync line had been written a couple of years prior to whenever they recorded it, but the band rejected it. Ted Templeton, their producer, dusted it off and gave it to Roth and said, here, come up with some lyrics to this. The lyric story to that varies from something to a jumping stripper to Roth seeing a new story the day before about some suicidal guy that was ready to jump off of a building. And he thinking that people may wanted this uh, jumper to take the plunge by egging him on and saying, jump. I was 18 years old when this song came out. I was at Fort Benjamin Harrison doing my advanced training in the army. At night, we used to go like to this little shopette kind of place. There was video games and some other stuff there and obviously TVs. And they were playing this video on MTV. It was just four guys playing this really great song that just starts growing on you. Then later on, you think, man, what an asshole I am having opinions about songs and whatnot, as if I have the talent to create that kind of stuff. Later on, that record came on and definitely proved everybody to be assholes. It was so phenomenal and so jam-packed with these out-of-this-world hard rock songs, Panama, Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs. I'll wait and let's not leave out Hot for Teacher. Jump so happened to be the harbinger of that album. One very obscure and I'll say very cool factoid about the sync part of this song, which will probably piss off the hardcore fans a little bit more. According to Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates, Van Halen told him, Eddie Van Halen told him, that he had copied the sync part from the Hall & Oates song Kiss on my list and used it on Jump. (laughs) And then uh, Daryl says, I have no problem with that. I don't know how true that is, even if it is true. But then, shit, I'm curious now. Let's take a listen. Let me cue this up for you. Let me see YouTube music. Kiss on my list. Boom. Okay. Okay. There's a Hall of Notes kiss on my list. Great song, by the way. I like it a lot. Let's switch gears. Find Van Halen's Jump. You'd think I'd have that one ready versus that symphonic version I played at the beginning of this segment. And here we go. Personally, I can't hear anything that would make these two songs compatible or alike. You'd have to be a trained musician with a good ear to pick up on something like that. There you have it. Van Halen's Jump. One, two,
1: three, four. This weekend. Oh yeah. Kiss.
0: was Kiss Live, Say Yeah, off of Sonic Boom. Wow, it's come to an end. No more Kiss as we know it. So I figured I'd throw in that more obscure song, even though they do play it live, Say Yeah, off of the album Sonic Boom, in which actually Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer recorded along with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, plus some other contributors. Released in 2009. Not a big fan favorite. You know, it is what it is. It doesn't have Ace Frehley and Peter Criss for all those diehards. And contrary to popular belief, where some people actually think that Psycho Circus was recorded also uh, with Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, which it wasn't. Uh, Tommy Thayer did contribute to that album. So did Bruce Kulik and Bob Ezrin. Returning to the final concert, 9 December 2023. I did see it on pay-per-view. Uh, I believe I had mentioned that in the last podcast. Episode number one, you might want to check it out. I'm trying to punch up my notes here because I did take some notes. I can't bring them up right now. I can't find them, actually. But while I'm trying to do that, I'll uh, give you at least some uh, insight. Maybe a little bit other than that's already been written or published on the different rock media online and maybe a couple of hardcover magazines and, and the rest. It started off with a lot of fanfare. Kiss this, kiss that, you name it. They had had a kiss week in New York City where they had been part of the uh, New York Rangers game, the NHL hockey game. Some famous pizza joint had a special edition kiss box where you could get your pizza in. They even lit up the Empire State Building. Here, here I found my notes. Good. When the events of the evening commenced, There was a smaller stage on a high rise set to the side, and it looked like uh, maybe a podcast or something was going to be happening, and maybe some interviews for the crowd, and it was hosted by Alison Hagendorf, and I hope I got that right. I had no idea who the hell she was. She looked kind of familiar, like one of those celebrities that host shit that occur in Las Vegas. So at the end, I wrote her name in the credits, and that's how I came up with it. But all it was really was eh, kind of talk showish, ish uh, And it was, you know, not to be unexpected, it was a big love fest for Kiss. And they didn't even come out. It was all videotaped interview prior to. I was expecting a bunch of rock stars, other musicians, maybe an actor here or there that had some history with Kiss and would tell some of their stories, that kind of thing. She brought up Desmond Child, and I know Desmond Child because he's written all these great songs for these other bands. And Desmond Child has a lot of rock and pop credibility. But then she brought up Jeans and Paul Stanley's Kid, who, by the way, had opened, Paul Stanley's Kid, had opened for Kiss with his band Amber Rose before this podcast thing had started. So no nepotism there, right? And while all this is going on, there's shots of other people in the crowd, enjoying themselves with some other guy, I didn't get his name, that he was kind of uh, the uh, crowd hype man. And they better be enjoying themselves. (laughs) They paid a pretty penny for that show. The show started and as a KISS fan for so many years, I saw nothing different during the entire presentation. The banter was the same. The set list was the same. The effects that KISS uses and their quote-unquote trademark gimmicks that they employ were eternally present. From the fire breathing to the guitar shooting rockets to Paul Stanley flying over the crowd with his swing. And don't get me wrong, if you go to a KISS show, that's what you want to see because that's what makes KISS the rock and roll band that they are. It's about the show. Fireworks galore, lights everywhere, loud guitars, thunderous drums, and great songs that have stood the test of time. We're talking 50 plus years here. Besides the fact that Ace Fraley and Peter Chris didn't come in on a classic Kiss song. At least on one or two songs. But you know what? There was no other musical guest coming up to play along with them and, you know, say goodbye. The only song that I can't recall them ever singing live, and I could be wrong, was Making Love off of Rock and Roll Over. I had never heard it live. Another song that I would have loved to have heard live for the last time was Firehouse. Nope, but they didn't do that. All the banter is always left up to Paul Stanley. And he told this story that we all know about him being a taxi driver in New York City and having some fare in his cab, driving them to the Madison Square Garden, telling them, someday I'm going to be playing there. Okay, we, we all know that as fans. And this concert, this final concert, In typical KISS mode of operandum, this show, this entire spectacle was just one big ass commercial for their next phase, which is KISS in Avatar version. What is that, you ask? It's KISS in cartoon version. Avatar is just a fancy name for it. I actually texted Adam during the pay-per-view, shared some of my thoughts that uh, I've shared with you guys here during this segment. His response back to me was not really surprising. Yeah. If I sound disappointed at my heroes, I am. I am for this final show. It doesn't take away all the great contributions that Kiss has done for rock and roll in general. Love them or hate them, they've been very influential. They've been inspiring artist-wise. As well as they've taught others how to handle the music business, how to market yourself, how to give back. Let's say, you know, like something very near and dear to my heart. Veteran organizations. Maybe this last show... Will count for something in the future. 200 years from now, when hopefully rock and roll is still around and Kiss as a band, Kiss as a legacy could be referenced. Maybe even aliens, when they come into the planet, they find some archives, (laughs) they'll be entertained by Kiss. Maybe, then maybe this last show will be appreciated. Thank you, Kiss. I just remembered, I have one more last replay of that pay-per-you. Huh, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. And it's time to switch modes, because it is
1: hashtag
0: what the frijoles is. I really need to fix that ending. Okay, 51 Dirty Christmas Jokes Sure to Land You on Santa's Naughty List. And this is off of ScaryMommy.com. Now, I'm not going to read all of this. You could go ahead and go to the link that is attached to the description of this podcast and uh, read it yourself. But it starts off with Naughty List or Nice List. Who cares? We're all adults now and ready to cut loose for the remainder of the year. We want to read literatica. Really? I think that's those kind of naughty stories that you read in the the dirty magazines. Uh Uh-oh. Anyway, that's what I've been told. (laughs) Let's move on. Send those scandalous sexts. Use those Christmas pickup lines, stir some scandal with a dirty Santa idea, and instigate some dirty truth or dare fun with your partners and friends. Mm. Now I wonder what scarymommy.com is about. Reading this actually reminded me of those visits that I made to the adult naughty boutiques here in town for those St. Valentine specials that we had in my other podcast. You can check them out. They're still available out there on all the major platforms. Now I was thinking... Instead of using these jokes to, I guess, be naughty and suggestive to a potential banging partner, I think you could use them at a Christmas party. You know, you're bored, you're sitting down, everybody's involved in their Christmas cheer, they're playing the standard Christmas songs on their favorite streaming website. I dare to bet they're not playing Slade's Merry Christmas Everybody. They're probably playing, you know, Mariah Carey's tune. It could be your wife's office Christmas party. It could be somebody else's. And all of a sudden you find yourself sitting down (laughs) next to, let's say, the younger crowd or maybe the lower life forms like yourself who don't enjoy this season as much as everybody else. You know what I'm referring to? It's that weird awkwardness as you sit around a bunch of strangers. You're looking at each other, let's say, on a couch or whatever it is, and you want to break the ice. And you do so by laying this one on them. What do snowmen use to make snow babies? They're looking at you all weird and like, Oh, who is this guy? Why is this guy talking to me? Then someone gets brave and says, Okay, I'll play along. (laughs) What do snowmen use to make snow babies? (laughs) You reply with snowballs, of course. (laughs) And the trick is that you got to make sure there's no miners there, even though they love it. And if that was too lame, you could go with What does Mrs. Claus get when she wears tight pants? A mistletoe. That one was kind of raunchy. Desecrating poor Mrs. Claus. Okay, okay. How about this one? What happened when the Grinch tried Viagra? He grew three sizes that day. I'm no good at telling jokes. I laugh at them before I hit the punchline. They get worse as they go on. So this one says, what do you call a dildo too big to fit in a sock? A hey, stocking stuffer. <laughs> oh, man. Just go to the link attached to this, uh, <laughs> to this podcast description. And, you know, you can refine some of your repertoire. It doesn't have to be some boring party. You could go to some family gathering and lay this one on your grandma.
1: I'm sure she'd love it. That was crush talk. What a the Fijoles.
0: <laughs> there won't be a single time that I watch The Grinch now, and I'll think about that Viagra joke.
1: It's the Rock News on the TMQ
0: Podcast. News that matters to me, and I'm bringing it to you on this episode. Let's be done with the bullshit and get down to the business of the current rock news. In my, uh, in my years now doing these podcasts and doing the research and things like that, I noticed that during Christmas time, the holiday season, we have a lack of actual current news in all the major online uh, rock and roll magazines such as Loudwire, Ultimate Classic Rock, things like that, right? So they go back and they revisit or make list, or the best of, or this happened on this year, things like that. And I think the reason for that is because during the holidays, you know, people take breaks and whatnot. So why wouldn't our rock heroes do the same thing? This year has been no different. So they've come up with some bullshit ones. And I thought this one was interesting. It says the best hard rock albums by year since 1970. Uh, this is subjective based on tastes and like, right? So Loudwire.com says 1970, they found the best one to be Zeppelin 3. Now, keep in mind, they did say hard rock, not hard rock acts, because Zeppelin 3 has a lot of, uh, you know, chilled out songs. Uh, Some of them are slow. Uh, Sure, they have that pounding hard rock element in there, but they're not anything close to the previous two albums. Because if you remember, this is the one that gave you Gallows Pole. It also gave you Since I've Been Loving You, Tangerine. Maybe a little bit more on the hard rock side would have been Immigrant Song. And Zeppelin took a gamble with this. And it really did pay off because they incorporated a lot of other instruments here. They had a Hammond organ. They had a synthesizer. They had a double bass. They even had a song with a pedal steel guitar. My favorite tune off of that album is probably Gallows Pole. It tells a cool story about a guy who's ready to face the gallows. You know, he's going to be killed for whatever crime he did. And he's just waiting for somebody uh, from his family or friends to show up with some money and save him from his fate. Hangman, hey, man. You got to kind of place yourself back in those days. You take that vinyl album out of its sleeve and you place that physical vinyl. Drop the needle and you kick back.
1: I couldn't get no silver. I couldn't get no gold. You know that way I'm too damn poor. Take me to the gallows pole.
0: (laughs) Again, subjective. And Loudwire does end up putting at the end of that little piece in the article that this album sold six million copies, which quantifies it. Gives us some validity. There's some other cool albums listed here. Kiss is on there for 1974. Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic. In the 80s, you have ACDC, Rush. Van Halen makes it in a couple of times. Obviously, Guns and Roses. Like everything else, I'll link it to the description of this podcast. And you can check it out on your own so I won't spoil it for some of you. And maybe uh, drop me a line. Tell me what you think. Maybe you'll agree with some of them. Maybe you won't. As I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, uh, a lot doesn't go on in the rock and roll world during this time. But there is some current news that's kind of sad. Metallica's Lars Ulrich's dad passed away. Ultimate Classic Rock on December the 20th. They cover a tribute that Lars made to his dad, which is very, you know, very cool. I believe his dad was very supportive of his career in rock and roll, in the arts. Uh, A lot of us who are Metallica fans are familiar with the Lars Ulrich story. How he came from Denmark and how much he was a metalhead. but he used to follow bands around in Europe as a kid and things of that nature. And also part of his story was his dad, who was a tennis champ. And uh, I didn't know this until I read this piece here, that he was also a musician. Had put out an album, was uh, proficient on wind instruments like the clarinet and the saxophone. And also on some other ones as well. At some point, putting out even uh, some albums. It's pretty obvious how much Lars loved his dad, and it was kind of a different article to read. Give you a little insight, you know, a little bit of the human side of uh, our favorite rock stars. Trending, trending on the social media, trending in general, that came about uh, because of the internet, because of social media, and because of foristas, or people who have something to say, have some kind of a comment, an opinion on X or Y subject. That could be written from a keyboard on your computer and blasted for everyone to see. Potentially, what could be measured at a global level due to things like keywords, hashtags, etc., almost real time. Whoa, oh, my my grandson Lorenzo's here. Good thing I'm almost wrapping this up. How you doing, Lorenzo? See Ilo. Oh yeah, are oh, you gonna see Yeah. Well, you're here seeing me right now. No, I don't see <laughs> Oh you, oh, you want to see Alo's house? Okay, give me a second. I'm going to pause for a second. Okay, I'm back. I guess uh, I didn't close the door that well to uh, .decoa Promotion Studios 1. Where was I? Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, trending, trending. Yeah, the phenomenon of trending. Where many of us use, and a lot of us also, abuse our opinions on the internet. Loudwire reported on December 19th that worst concert is trending. Here's what rock plus metal fans are saying. Music fans were sharing the worst concert they've ever seen as part of a viral trend. You know what I was talking about, the trending. On X, where individuals also shot out the first and last concerts they've ever seen. But the ones we're interested in are the worst. Because this is what the story's about. At least in the opinions of these foristas, these commentators. So we're going to hit the link. On the news story, it'll take us to X. And from X, we will hit the hashtag, worst concerts. Bam. First one to pop up is the 2019 Chili Pepper Show. Wow. Up next would be Motley Crue with some show that they had in Saratoga. And another show in St. Louis. Next up is Ace Fraley, ex-Kiss guitarist alumni, who, by the way, has a new record out streaming right now titled 10,000 Volts. It's pretty good, I thought. Very rocking, the offspring that was in uh St Louis in twenty twenty three say had a bad show. I'm kind of glad uh to see that Bob Dylan's on there too. It's very and I hate to say this diverse it's a very uh it's a very opposite poll's list. Kanye is on there, and some other artists like Green Day and Thirty seconds to Mars, Liam Gallagher. If you want to give your opinion of the worst show you've ever seen, all you have to do is uh, write whatever you're going to write on your social media and hashtag it with Worst Concert. And to close this segment out and close out my podcast, I'd like to tell everyone that according to both Loudwire and Ultimate Classic Rock, Motley Crue has canceled their New Year's Eve show. If you go by those reviews on Worst Concert Ever, you'd probably going, "Ooh, I just got saved. And this press release was just put out December the 21st. Motley Crue has canceled their planned Crew Year's Eve 2023 concert scheduled to take place in Palm Springs on New Year's Eve this coming December the 31st. And that would be Palm Springs, California. If you know anything about that area or been out to Coachella, things like that, that's more or less the area where this show was going to take place. I was out there a couple of times when my daughter lived in California. So I went to a few venues just to kind of see where they were held at. There was no actual event going on. It was just out of curiosity. The crew camp put out a simple statement that read, It is with deep regret we must inform you the Crew Year's Eve show in Palm Springs is being canceled, the band said, in a post that they put out the afternoon of the 21st. And they continue saying, the very short time frame to produce the event resulted in issues beyond our control. We look forward to seeing you all in 2024, of course. When it comes to producing a rock show of that magnitude in a very short time period, I could see that. But I could also note that the crew is just fresh coming off the road. I believe they had some gigs overseas in Japan or something like that. And I'm going to give you some more of my opinions. A couple of months ago, you were able, as a fan, to listen to Mick Mars' earpiece as the show is being directed. And this was all due to the controversy that broke out when Mick was fired from Motley Crue. And there was allegations and accusations of the band members not playing their own instruments, as well as other tracks like vocals. It was a real cool video to watch. Gives you a little insight of what they hear on their earpieces as the show progresses. Plus, Mick Mars is pissed off at the Motley Crue camp, which he was a founding member, and throws everybody under the bus, minus himself, because he still claims that he played his own instruments. Returning to Motley Crue, I say that Motley Crue's almost the next kiss. If that's the case, being that well rehearsed and being supported by tracks, when you have a monster team behind you, I don't know really how much does it take to produce some kind of show that will maybe give you a little variety than the regular standard fair Motley Crue show. That's my two cents on that cancellation by Motley Crue. And that closes out this segment and the podcast. And that's my new cue. I've been dying all episode to play it. as my exit as I leave this podcast. Written by moi. Performed entirely by moi on the drums and the bass. I hope you give it a chance. Kick back and listen to it. And enjoy some pure rock and roll it's time to head out ladies and gentlemen it's Christmas time and I got shit to do I want to thank my new and growing fan base of uh, this year podcast episode number two on the books I love it I'll ask you don't let anyone tell you how you should think use those research skills and call out whoever it may be on their bullshit even me The TMQ Podcast streaming on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, RSS Podcasts, and many others. Subscribe
1: and check it out when your notification bell chimes. I'm your host, El Gran Tommy Martinez, and you are listening to the best podcast, the TMQ Podcast. Hasta la próxima, baby. Until then, keep it rocking and Feliz Navidad.